0: Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM, brought to you this time by Squarespace and Tuparev. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell. I'm usually joined by Stephen Hackett, but Stephen Hackett is off this week, this fortnight. He is he is resting comfortably, and instead I am joined by Somebody who, in a parallel universe, probably hosts Liftoff with some combination of me or Steven. It's Zach Hall from <laughs> com and 9 to 5 Max. See see the common interest there? Zach, welcome to Liftoff. <laughs> Thanks for being here.
1: Thank so you- thanks so much for having me jason just a couple of apple guys talking yeah it's just
0: like always it's just like always (laughs) right exactly And i wanted to to mention also uh you host uh some podcasts including the excellent nine to five mac happy hour people should check that out if they're interested in what mac guys who are interested in space also talk about when it's about the mac (laughs) something like that but uh thank you for filling in for steven we both really appreciate it. Um, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about you and what you're doing and uh, and stuff like that. But, you know, the, the pre-flight checklist waits for no one. That's so right. I think we ought to get started. Um, I wanted to mention that Crew-1, which is the, fir- it's the second crewed SpaceX mission to the International Space Station, but it's the first non-experimental one with four people on board uh was delayed uh but it has been rescheduled for November 14th and we've talked about it on this podcast before it's four astronauts going this time the test flight was two but it'll be four three from NASA and one from JAXA the Japanese space agency um and you know SpaceX basically wanted to delay when they had some questions about some some weird things that happened in a previous Falcon launch and I I keep thinking of this as like some nail polish got into the wrong place and that's not quite right, but it's kind of close. There was like a lacquer that's that's used in a part that was apparently over applied and some of it kind of like got into a valve and it shows you the level of detail. If you're building a rocket that you look at something that's anything out of spec, especially if it's going to be a crude mission and say, you know, let's stop and figure out what, happened there because it could be any number of those things that could lead to bigger problems. So you got to you got to nail them down. And that's why uh, there was a delay.
1: Yeah. And I, I listened to the briefing on this, uh, I think, late last week, and it sounds like NASA and SpaceX uh, wanted to see the, an upcoming GPS-3 mission, which is scheduled for Thursday or Friday. It keeps moving. Um, and then there's a launch in Vandenberg uh, over in, in on your yeah. side of the country in California um, that was supposed to happen also before this mission. And that got pushed back to I think the end of the month or the beginning of next month and on the call NASA was kind of clear that they wanted to see those two missions fly successfully before they see another crewed launch with the Falcon 9 and we haven't I mean it doesn't sound like they're going to require that Vandenberg launch um, but GPS 3 will be uh, this week sometime so pending that goes well then then we've got this November 14th launch date this was supposed to be the Halloween launch uh, and it was like 2 a.m. on Halloween morning and um i I for one am not upset that it got moved from halloween morning at 2 a.m so it's all
0: it's all okay um yeah Mm i i vandenberg launches uh i love them because they're over here i've never been to one uh, although i've been tempted the fog down there is apparently so terrible that oftentimes the launches are invisible um because the fog is so bad although i did get to see i saw one spacex launch from vandenberg that happened to be in the evening and even in northern california i was able to see. That launch from my neighborhood, which was pretty awesome, so I'm I'm always always cool. looking for another uh, another uh, nice, well timed Vandenberg launch, but they don't happen as often. So anyway, so we should be having some fun uh, crew Dragon ISS stuff uh, in a couple of weeks, which is uh, which is great to see because this is the we're going to talk about, a little bit more about the ISS later, but you know this is in some ways. A whole new era in the International Space Station because since the uh, shuttle, especially, was decommissioned, but like adding commercial crew really increases the number of astronaut hours on the space station because there are more astronauts to doing more scientific research than they've been able to do. So it's a good it's good to see a full on crew of four going to join an expedition crew and staying. Which you know the 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 test flight in Demo Two they stayed for a little while, but it wasn't really. Part of the original plan wasn't why they were there. And this is why this crew of four is going is they're going to staff the international space station and uh, get it up to, uh, to seven,
1: yeah, yeah. And, and this is also neat because a few weeks ago I was at uh, Kennedy Space Center Visitor Center and I was in line to see Atlantis and I looked behind me and uh, Soichi Naguchi was there and I, I, I approached him and I said, hey, is this you? you and I showed him his Twitter account and he was like, yeah, so it was him and it was, he was with a friend and it was kind of a neat thing to see um, an, an astronaut, you know, in this case, a Japanese a- astronaut who will be on this flight.
0: Well, and you go to... Um you go to Kennedy Space Center, it looks like a lot. I I was I looked on the map. You you are fortunate enough that it's it's not exactly close to where you live, but it's drivable, right? In a way that for me, going to Central Florida is extremely arduous, especially now, right? But but uh so anyway, I'm envious of that. That it's very cool that you can get over there fairly. I mean, it's not like not easy easy, but you can you can do it, which is nice.
1: Yeah, uh it's it's about an 8-hour drive from South Mississippi. Um but what I, I just moved to Orlando. So now it's oh. a 30-minute drive. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, and and it's you, yeah. You just live over there <laughs> And it was and it was inspired, you know, it was motivated entirely by oh, this. So but, I didn't know you moved um, from
0: Mississippi to Orlando, but okay, well then you're right there. You're in it.
1: That's right. Oops. That's right. Um and, and it's, one of the reasons it's kind of a crazy time for me right now is because in the week that I was moving here, um, my kids' school, the classroom went virtual because of, you know, COVID and everything. And so the daycare <laughs> and school was closed. Oh, and man. so the kids are here with me yeah. um, as I'm moving, like, unprepared to have kids here yet. So it's been, it's been bananas.
0: That's <laughs> wild. Well, you know, the things we do for uh, family and uh, for space, apparently, too. So that's cool. That's very cool. Um, uh, should we talk about asteroids? <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? It's it's election day. Asteroids, asteroids. Well Osiris a way, Osiris though. Rex uh <laughs> in the last fortnight, um, one of the news stories that happened that was really cool is that it's at Bennu. Steven and I have talked about it a lot. Like they're gonna collect stuff, they're gonna collect stuff from that asteroid and they're gonna send it back to Earth. And it finally happened where Ben where Osiris Rex popped down down to Bennu and and, and kind of smooshed into the surface and popped back up with a bunch of rocks. And they were hoping to get like a certain number of grams of material. They're like, well, we don't know. We'll we'll see. And there's a great, I'll put a link in the show notes. There's a great video. It's like a, a, an animation of the, uh, the whole process. And, you know, it gets closer and closer and closer. And then, boom, it's out of there. And there's rocks everywhere. And uh, it turns out that they got way more sample material than they expected. It was too successful. They couldn't like close the flap on the carrier So they were leaking out material. So they actually changed the sequence of operations of what they were going to do with Osiris Rex in order not to like move and leak out more material. But it sounds like they got as much as two kilograms, which is way more than they'd actually hoped, uh, which is great. And uh and so they've got material sampled from this asteroid. And I guess in March is when they will depart Bennu and return but i don't know if you saw that video but it's so cool because it's it's sort of like frames every so often and then there are more frames and then they take that and when it gets close it's it's basically like full motion video and then suddenly there are just rocks everywhere
1: yeah it was awesome uh i learned about this mission kind of late i mean it was just the news coverage recently that 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 turned me on to this um and i learned that i had friends who had been at the launch for this a couple of years ago i think it was like 2018 2017 so um it's been a few years ago since it was you know going there and kind of parking around the asteroid and um and i was listening like live as 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 they were kind of having the, the data transfer, the downlink to see how is it going in the moment, and I think it was about a twelve minute delay or so, and everyone on the team was just so anxious to know how it was going to go, and um and I think they had like two tries if the first one didn't go well, right. and and it went you know well enough on on the first attempt, and then there was that like late breaking drama like you mentioned where they had too much stuff and it was you know a, a kind of a curveball at the last minute, um so that was that was definitely interesting,
0: yeah, yeah, and. It- getting samples this won't be the first sample return of an asteroid but it's the second and it's it's just so rare to be able to do a sample return mission because obviously it's so expensive because you have to get there and back instead of just there <laughs> and uh so it's it's uh yeah it's pretty great we've been you know sorry benu we uh, we scraped you scraped you a little bit we're stealing some of your stuff uh to check it out but um it's cool that this works so well we Steven and I talk a lot about how uh you know, There's no repairman in space, so if something goes wrong, you got to have contingency plans, and space probe people are so good at that. And this was a hilarious example. Like, Steve and I talk about the mole, the Martian mole, right? And it's like, oh, it, it, it dug a little, and then it came back out, and then we put a thing on it, and it didn't work, and then we tried this, and we dug down. It's funny to have a story that's like, yep, we're full of rocks. We got more rocks than we know what to do with. We don't need to try again. We did it <laughs> first time yeah, exactly. Uh, so th- it's it's high risk stuff. Yeah. you
1: know you're not you don't have that physical control over it. You it's all planning ahead.
0: Yeah. So good job, Osiris Rex, and uh, we'll check out the rocks from Bennu. I, I read that they get they their team gets like everybody's got their apportioned amount of like what samples get stored and what samples get used for different scientific papers and stuff like that. So like I guess the the main team gets access to a quarter of whatever gets brought back. Um, so everybody's dancing around though, because it's all like percentages of the sample material and they filled, it sounds like the box of rocks. So, yeah.
1: And they're, they're, they're already working on like who gets what percentage of it. And they want to have, I guess the idea is the best labs on the planet so that they can have a bunch of different teams at the same time trying to draw data from it.
0: Pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, it is election day. And Election Day uh, does have an impact on what happens in uh, in NASA, at least, in the U.S., U.S. Election Day. Uh, so I want to talk about some some possibilities for the future of NASA. We're going to talk about the International Space Station and a bunch of other stuff. But first, let me take a quick break to tell you about our first sponsor, This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for whatever your next idea is. You can get a unique domain name. You can use their award-winning templates and a whole lot more. Whether you want to create an online store, sell your stuff, or maybe a portfolio to show off your work, or create a blog and get your thoughts out there on the internet. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform. It lets you do any of those things, all of those things at once if you really want to. You can have your thoughts and sell things. And show off your work. And you know you can do it all with Squarespace. Nothing to install. No software. No patches. No upgrades. You're not maintaining a server. Squarespace does all of that. You just do your website. And they have award-winning 24-7 customer support. If you need any help, they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed to help show off your great ideas. You ask any techie person like me, like Steven, like anybody else, they will tell you that uh, when a friend comes to them and says, "I need to do a website for X," we all, we all pretty much just say you should use Squarespace, right? Like we don't want you to. Well, you could get a you know a hosted server, and how much do you know about uh, installing patches to Ubuntu? And it's like, nah, why don't you just get a Squarespace site? It's super easy. Plans just start at twelve dollars a month. Uh, you can also start a trial, no credit card required, by going to squarespace.com/liftoff. When you decide to sign up, use that code LIFTOFF, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, and show your support for this podcast. That's squarespace.com slash Space is right in the name, people, and the code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you, Squarespace, for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So, Zach, it's election day. I don't know if you knew this. There was an election going on today yeah. in the United States, turns out.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, when when you reached out about doing this podcast today, I was like, "That is wonderful, something to to take my eyes off of Twitter and the TV, and yeah, uh, you
0: know, yeah but and not th- and not think about and the election. About the yeah, here election. we are, and then here it is in the document. But I, and this is the thing. I and I, I totally get if people are like I just want to skip this, but I think what's interesting here and there were a couple of really interesting articles about this. Um, and you posted something uh on Space mm-hmm. Explored about yeah. this. Is there's some ar- there was a Politico article that was saying, okay, what happens to space policy if there is a change in administrations? If if Joe Biden wins, what happens to NASA versus presumably NASA staying the course with what, under Jim Bridenstine, it's been doing in the Trump administration? And uh, I thought it was an interesting piece because you never know space policy is one of those places where I, I think most of us can't just say, well, Republicans always want to do this and Democrats always want to do this. It's a lot more mixed up. It's one of the rare places where uh where it's often a a non-partisan or less partisan environment. In fact, one of the angles here is about Jim Bridenstine, the NASA administrator, who was a real You know, he was a real controversial pick because everybody's like, he's not a a space career guy. He's a politician. He was a Republican congressman from Oklahoma. And as far as I can tell, I'm interested what you think. But like everybody seems to think he's done a very good job and has not made this a partisan thing and has really done a good job. Turns out the congressman knows how to work with the other members of Congress (laughs) to do to sort of (laughs) try to get what he needs for his his uh his organization in this case nasa um and so you know there's there some speculation about whether bridenstine might actually be allowed to stick around a little bit longer uh just because he's done a good job and has not been a divisive figure it's your is your read that bridenstine's generally ended up after a rough introduction um getting good marks yeah absolutely
1: and it, it's it's one of the things where uh is as controversial as you know politics can be, um, within the space community that I'm around, uh, it, it's, it's sort of universal that everyone loves Jim Bridenstine and it's, it's almost like, you know, it, it, you want to remove that aspect from the election because obviously, you know, it, it's kind of weird because right now it, it is election day. Usually you find out in, in the evening, you know, next day, basically how it went. In this case, this might be a little bit of an ever, you know, right. a little, have a little bit more life than usual. Um, because we may not know the results, uh, so soon this year. Um, but, but that's, that's definitely true. And so, um, th- there's, th- there's the, the idea that, he is a Republican. If there is a Biden administration, then you can say, "Well, that's kind of bipartisanship." Usually, you know, you have you have one cabinet official from the other party, usually in defense or something, and and that can be called bipartisanship. In this case, it's a former Republican congressman who's got his hands deep in NASA, and if, if there's any criticism that I see, it's that. He's, he's too spinny on what's, what's marketing, you know, connecting things to Artemis that aren't necessarily related and, you know, just, just all, all about, um, you know, uh, Kind of selling NASA to the public, and he's done a fantastic job, from what I can tell. Uh, it, it's it's also true though that he his job doesn't seem to be as much as you could argue that he could stay around. It doesn't seem likely.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Is there, there's a piece The Hill, uh, which is a you know DC uh, opinion site uh, covering DC politics, did an opinion piece. There's definitely some opinion pieces that have been written recently that I think I'm, I'm fascinated by this, right? That that it seems like there's some attempt to push Bridenstine for what you just described, which is like, maybe here is your bipartisan gesture, is that he's actually done a good yeah. job. And, you know, there's an argument to be made that if you survey all the different government organizations during the four years of Donald Trump, that there's been so much right. drama and so much turnover and so many people, you know... They, they resign and then there's a recess appointment or there's a temporary acting position. It's like such a mess. And NASA, if you look at it, has been pretty solid, right? And and yes. a lot less drama. And that Bridenstine has worked with Republicans and Democrats in Congress. And so there's definitely a case being made that maybe he is the is the person who should be considered to stick around for that bipartisan gesture kind of thing. But like you said... At the same time, it also seems incredibly unlikely, just because what is traditionally done is those people all hand in their resignations, and the new president nominates new people to run. Um, and it, it the scenario that I saw that that seemed, I think, Politico mentioned this is the idea that that might be they might have Br- Bridenstine stick around for a while instead of having like him immediately out. And an acting person in place, they might actually ask him to maintain continuity for a little while while they get the rest of the government approved in the case. Obviously, this is in the case of Biden wins. It's a very different scenario if Trump is reelected mm-hmm. and we probably just see NASA staying the course. But that he's I think the argument is sort of like he's done a good job and it's not your problem. <laughs> so just maybe <laughs> right. leave him be <laughs> for now. Um, there is the Politico story does suggest that that they would like to appoint the first female NASA administrator, and that that is expected to happen whenever Bridenstine is gone. That the that, and there are a few different candidates for that, but. Um, but you know, I, it I, it is weird. It's a weird to have this conversation because he was so controversial. People are like, no, this guy is terrible. He's just a partisan hack from Congress. It's gonna, and he's done. Yeah, he's really tried to defuse all of that. And I don't know. Kind of shows that maybe you do need a a little bit more of a political animal running NASA because you do have to get your funding from Congress. It's not just the goodwill of the president. You do need to convince Congress and both parties in Congress that you need funding for whatever your initiatives are.
1: Right. And NASA is not on autopilot right now where they can just they, they have a plan and nothing's going to change. Um, there's so much on the line that requires a lot of hard work in convincing people in Congress to, um, you know, spend the money on this. And something that I have found son to be really good at is communicating kind of big picture ideas in everyday speak. And so he can talk, he can he can give a good angle on something. He's got his catchphrases, um, but he does a good job of he's a very good messenger, both to the public uh, and clearly to Congress the 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 thing that may stick him is his history in Congress. He was a very conservative congressman. Um, I think even now he's he's when he talks about climate change or asks about climate change, he'll present NASA as um, not not players in that. They collect data, but they don't make decisions. And we're probably going to see the Biden administration if, if Biden's elected president. Um, put NASA Earth with a big focus on climate change research and using information from that. And that's where it starts to fall apart for Bridenstine staying on. As much as he has done for the Artemis program and commercial crew, there are also – Really great people directly under him. There's thousands of people that work at NASA. Um, that, that even with the administrative change, those programs can continue to exist. His big asset is he's able to sell Artemis to Congress, you know, and it's still a work in progress every step of the way. I, it, it's tricky to see someone else being that good at that job, but it's also the 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 the, the Biden administration focus on climate that he's not quite the person you'd hire for that.
0: Yeah, he's. I mean, again, showing that he is a really good politician, and I don't. And it's so easy to say somebody's a politician and mean it as an insult, and I don't mean that at all. Right. And I also don't mean that he doesn't believe anything, but I do. I I do mean that as a conservative Republican congressman from Oklahoma. He was in a position to be uh, to say that climate change wasn't an issue because that was essentially right. the party's take. As NASA administrator, his boss is Donald Trump, and <laughs> right. we know that in the Trump administration, the last thing you want to do is say something that makes the boss angry at you. And mm-hmm. I have been fascinated to watch Jim Bridenstine walk that line, and even on climate change, when people people are like, "Oh, I'm going to get him." I'm gonna get him. We're gonna ask him about climate change. And he has <laughs> said things he would never have said as a congressman. He says right. he says, yes, climate change is real. You know, he he also, though, is implementing uh, the Trump administration's take on on what NASA should be, which is not earth science, right? Like they just don't mm-hmm. want to fund that. They don't want NASA doing climate change research and earth science information. But I, I find it interesting that Bridenstine doesn't come across as a hatchet man who's trying to kill any earth science because he's a climate denialist. He in fact right. has softened a great deal since taking over at NASA. So that would be the counter argument is, you know, he you could you could make the case for Brightenstein actually being okay with doing more earth science, but he can't say more because of who he works for. You could also That's point totally to his track fair. record yeah. and say, but really he was also <laughs> Uh, you know, not not somebody who was for understanding climate change when he was a congressman, and only now at NASA. But you know, you could. And then the counter counter argument is: only now that he doesn't have to face voters, is he free to say that climate change is real? So right, it's a, yeah, and it's on
1: principle, it's it's good to be able to evolve as a political leader, because if you don't, then your your time will pass. Right. And it's it's totally fair to give him credit for evolving on the issue, if that's the case. Uh, we'll, we'll see.
0: Yeah, people now, uh, Artemis, obviously, the whole idea of returning to the moon is is wrapped up now in this being a Trump administration objective, and Mike Pence talks about it a lot, and Jim Bridenstine's talked about it a lot. And something that's been a recurring theme on this podcast is Stephen and I talking about <laughs> the problem NASA has with its priorities being continually moved in a different direction every time there's a new administration. And one of the pieces that the political article says that I thought was good to hear is it's extremely unlikely that if a Biden administration replaces the Trump administration, that Artemis is going to get pushed off track. That it sounds like an I would also ascribe this to the work Jim Bridenstine has done, getting people aligned on this, that Artemis is an American space initiative. It doesn't belong to one party or the other and that a, a republic republican administration or a democratic administration is going to push artemis forward the big change probably being they'll stop talking about actually landing people on the moon in 2024 which everybody mm-hmm. in nasa and everybody in the space community knows is impossible but you don't want to <laughs> don't tell the boss because the boss uh-huh. wants it to be done before his second term is out and so if if Trump is voted out, that fiction probably fades away.
1: Yeah, there was even a, a recent press call I was on where Biden was talking about the 2024 uh, date, and he always he, he's pretty fair about the way he, he addresses it, and he says, you know, that date is meant to give us a, a clear deadline because one of the big problems with with past programs is they get delayed and then canceled sure. after spending a lot of money. Um, so having a, a closer date gives them a more tangible uh, you know goal. Um, but he, he was really Open about saying if there's no budget at the end of the year, then they're not going to be able to meet that deadline. That it becomes harder and harder and harder, as much as it's already not possible. Right, um, and that was that was the first time there was kind of that like sound of defeat of like, yeah, twenty twenty four. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't put on your calendar, especially if the Congress can't pass a budget and we go into a you know a government shutdown.
0: And we always uh, talk here about the fact that. Uh, you you do need targets and you do need goals and that setting a 2024 goal, even if it's not ultimately realistic, if it's the thing, maybe setting a 2024 goal is what gets you a landing in 2026, right? right? Whereas if you say 2026, maybe you don't make it until 2028 or 2030 or ever, right? Like having a goal, having a target, just like the Apollo program had by the end of the decade, that you know, set by John F. Kennedy, like... Those are motivators and plan- and they focus everybody and they they provide some clarity uh, when you're making decisions and even if the the date ends up slipping a little bit or people know it's not a real date it gives you a target that is important I think and 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 uh, it's good to have it even I mean at some point it becomes uh, bad because people. All know that it's a fraud, but I I think having it, it, something to it's, shoot it's for it's Brown in the football. You know? Yeah, right, yeah. right. You can't, you don't want it to be a joke, but you but you do want to provide some clarity and not have it be one of these kind of like oh we'll go to Mars sometime because then there's no then there's no plan and there's no focus and there's no timeline and there's no schedule and even if you don't make all the the the, the parts of your timeline. It's important to have one, right? You can't just be like, right, we'll get right. there sometime. I don't know how, whatever that you're not getting anywhere <laughs> if you say that.
1: Yeah, no, no no one in Congress wants to pay for something happening. Um, you know, twenty reelections from
0: now. yeah, exactly yeah. right, exactly right. Uh, we should say that this article in Politico also has some interesting pieces about uh, other aspects of Trump administration's space policy. If you're curious, will there continue to be a space force? Yes. Uh, will there continue to be a National Space Council out of the White House, which is the the group that uh, Mike Pence wa- is, is visible on right now? And the answer is it's unclear. I think that a lot of people in the space industry really like the idea that there is a locus of space planning happening in the White House because... Otherwise, you're you're out of sight, out of mind and out of the conversation in a way that that you you can't deny that having Mike Pence appear at various things with the National Space Council has given the strong implication that the administration actually cares about space policy. And that's probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and political
1: also mentioned that, that if the Space Council stays around, of course, if Biden elected, it would be um, Vice President Kamala Harris who would head that. And that would be an early leadership role for her to take on. That, that's, that's highly tangible right. and material. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, it gives her, gives her something. Because, you know, the challenge always of a vice president is, <laughs> what do they do?
1: Yeah, finding something to <laughs> and, do besides. And Mike, honestly, I've seen North more yeah. of
0: Mike Pence talking about NASA than literally everything else put together. Uh, so it's good. That's they right. gave That's him something. Right. gave him something to do, something to focus on.
1: More than the coronavirus. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, so another milestone that we should talk about in this episode is the twentieth anniversary of the International Space Station, or at least the twentieth anniversary of the beginning of Expedition One, which was which means that it's now been twenty consecutive years of human occupation of the ISS because Expedition One uh, opened up the hatch. On November 2nd of 2000. So it's been uh, 20 years that there's been somebody in the International Space Station at all times, <laughs> uh, which is it's a big milestone. And, it, and it's interesting coming at a moment in the ISS's life where there are some serious questions about, you know, what what its long term future is and is it going to survive? Uh, it's it's an interesting moment to have us kind of ponder where they've come and and also where it's going.
1: Right. Is it a greatest hits track or are we continuing this? And that's one of the things that, you know, just just back to the politics for a moment, that the, the Trump administration's position is, is, is a bit of in 2025. We want to have this thing commercially ran um, for the most part and that the Biden administration would push that can on the road, at least that that it would U.S. investment would kind of kind of stay status quo. Um and and we're we're it's wild because we're also seeing like so much ISS activity right now where you do have commercial crew now. Um, so for the first time, you know, in in seven eight years, you've got U.S. astronauts, and and, and more than you know single you know single astronauts going up. Um, from from. You know, w- with cosmonauts that now you've got groups of astronauts coming from the U.S. Um, so our, our attention is much more focused there. And there's even weird stuff like you're seeing Tom Cruise going to film a movie right. there next year. And, and today, um, Ross Cosmos in Russia put out a call for a female actor <laughs> to to do the same thing next year. So it, it's, it's kind of weird that we're at this 20 year milestone. The future is very uncertain, but we, there's also just much more activity happening than, than I can recall, you know,
0: yeah, before. It, I think what troubles me about the sudden discussion of like, well, how long can this thing really even last? And are we going to get through the end of the decade? Or are we going to decommission it? Or are we going to, you know, what are we going to do? Um, and I feel like we've heard that before, right? This is this is essentially the conversation about decommissioning the space shuttle and replacing it with commercial mm. crew and realizing that, you know, you could talk about if you don't plan it fast far enough ahead, you're gonna end up with a very long, painful gap where there's nothing. And and I think everybody who's watching the ISS has is raising that concern now, which is if we don't have a plan for either what we do to renew the ISS or replace the ISS, we will just lose it at some point and have nothing. In, in the wings and we will have another one of these gaps. But um, it is also fascinating that, like, as you said, it, it kind of is getting more currency than it's had in a while, uh, in part because of this commercial influx, in part because commercial crew is now actually allowing the, there to be uh, more people at the station. I mentioned it earlier, but like uh, I read an article, there are a bunch of pieces we will put in the show notes about, um, about the ISS after 20 years with people on board and the one of the trends that I saw was, in many ways, the ISS has gone from being seen as a boondoggle to being seen as valuable. But it took perspective, and uh, you know, many like decades of perspective to understand what we got out of having the ISS in terms of of training people and understanding long term spaceflight and understanding mm-hmm. lots of things about zero gravity. But like, I, I thought the the one of the best things Eric Berger wrote a thing in Ars Technica about. About mm-hmm. this, and it struck me when I think he made the argument that there, the ISS had had a bunch of phases. They had the, like the construction phase where for the first ten years they were just flying the space shuttle up there and tacking things onto the ISS. And most of the work <laughs> that the astronauts were doing in the ISS was putting things together, essentially, and keeping right. it running. And then after the shuttle was done, everything was cranked up, except that there was also no American pathway. To do anything up there, and so you ended up in this period where most of the work was maintenance and a little science got done and it 's only now that we 've reached the point with commercial crew where we 're going to be able to uh, like I think what they said was like you 'll essentially have an extra astronaut worth of time of just science, which exactly is yeah. enormous like it's enormous an enormous boost so now we 're looking at it and going all right. We really got it. 20 years in, we're cooking with gas. And it's like, yeah, and now how long is it going to last? So it's, so it's so frustrating, but it's also kind of, I feel like the story about the ISS is changing from it being we spent you know billions and billions of dollars on what to being more like, oh, wait, it was a good idea, <laughs> but now what?
1: Yeah, and think about what would astronauts do? Without ISS, you know, if, if there is the overlap, you know, where, where there's nothing commercial uh, or even there's nothing American, you know, right. um, that astronauts go to, all of a sudden we have commercial crew now, but where do we send astronauts? And there's already, yeah. you know, a massive class of astronauts with with not enough to do. <laughs> and, and, and the moon missions, they're, they're not nearly you know, they're not going to be frequent enough or they're not even close enough. So um, without ISS, there's there's not that presence in space that we have right now. And it is remarkable to look back at the 20 years I've had of continuous, um, supporting continuous human life. And, and that makes you just really appreciate what, you know, what what is the, the current space program? So much of it is is what we can do on ISS.
0: Right. You build the commercial crew program and two ultimately when Bowen gets up there two of these commercial passenger vehicles essentially to go to the international space station right and then if you don't have it anymore well we just wait we just spent a decade building the capacity to go to this place and is the place not going to be there anymore and i think the answer is the place is going to be there for a lot longer than maybe people think it's going to be because how mm-hmm. could you not but Uh, You got to ask the question. I do think sometimes I get the sense that um, NASA would really like to see ISS replaced by a, uh, a kind of a thriving community of people in lunar orbit on the gateway station. As well sure. as down on the lunar surface. And thinking of that as the next step is instead of having some people in a space station, we have some people in a lunar space station and some people down on the moon. But to get to the that lunar space station requires a whole lot more because you got to get to cis lunar space than it does to mm-hmm. get to low Earth orbit. So, you know, it, it's it's a fascinating question. And I like there are companies like Axiom that's building a module for the ISS that could potentially if the ISS got decommissioned, be detached and make its own little private space station. You know, obviously China is working on, on space station stuff, but can't talk to America about it. Um, (laughs) It's, it's a, I I think this is one of the big stories, like the moon, but also ISS and what we are going to do with it are like among the big stories of the next five years, because if we don't make a decision, then we're making a decision, right? And the decision is, I guess it's going to, get decommissioned at some point, and then we're not going to know what we're doing next.
1: Right. And and maybe there's a benefit in giving it, you know, back to deadlines, giving it a finish date and having that be the motivator to encourage commercial companies to have a bunch of, you know, space stations in low Earth orbit. And uh, without that deadline, there's not that motivation. So... That could be a factor, you know, where you say we're going to give the, the ISS through 2030 and you have this decade to, um, you, you know, bring a market to, to space, you know, because otherwise, what are we doing?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, we don't know. We don't know. Maybe Tom Cruise we'll will save everything. <laughs> All that Tom Cruise. is the plot know. of the
1: movie. Yep.
0: How do we save the International Space Station? All right. <laughs> uh, I do want to talk uh, more. We got a bunch of moon news moon stuff to talk about. But before we do that, let me tell you about our second sponsor. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you also by Tuparev Technologies. These are the people who like to put technical words in their ad read that I can't say. So let's see how it goes. The sensor size of a modern iPhone is 12 megapixels. And the sensor sizes of modern professional cameras max out at about 45 megapixels. The size of the largest astronomical CCD camera is 1.3 gigapixels. Yeah. Gigapixels. At WWDC 2020, Tuperev's developers were told by Apple engineers no one in the industry had ever attempted to open a gigapixel image on a mobile device, but Tuperev's ambitions were reach even further than that. They want to allow users of their new apps to perform real-time image processing on any modern iOS device, even for those enormous images. Tuparev's team is now looking for masters or PhD students in the fields of astronomy and physics who are not afraid of doing crazy math. Or taking deep dives into the inner workings of modern GPUs. They will work on super fun projects like representing butterfly projection on polar coordinate layout, representation of time coordinates and astronomy images, new algorithms for lossless compression of astronomical spectral data, large image subtraction for optimal transient detection, hypothesis testing, and in photometry and more. During these crazy times, Tuperev's diverse team will be pleased to work with students around the world and collaborate with their universities for joint research projects remotely or at one of their offices. If computational astronomy is your passion, you'll be welcomed by Tuperev's team to work on their new astronomical tools for the 21st century for Mac, iPad, iPhone, or the web. If you want to learn more about doing research or work with Tuperev's team, go to Tuperev.com RelayFM. That's tupare dot RelayFM. Thank you to Tuperev technologies for supporting liftoff and all of relay FM. I said all those words too. They're Photometry. Memorizing. That's really impressive. Photometry <laughs> is the one that gets me. Yeah. Gigapixel images for, uh, for, for astronomy. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, that cool. I like that they're, they're puzzling apples. Uh, people are like, why would you have a photo of that? Oh, <laughs> telescope. Oh, I see. <laughs> so big news story. I know you covered on space explored. Um, yeah. We've seen water on the moon before, but this story is that we saw water on a place in the moon we didn't think we might see water.
1: Yeah. And this is one of those stories where it, the headline just cannot say it all. There's so much context uh, that's required to really understand it. And even then, you have to really listen to find kind of the tangible description of what it means from way smarter people than me. You know, uh, so moon. uh Water molecules on the moon not together but but spread out, I think enough to fill up a water bottle if they were together, a twenty ounce water bottle or so in the sunny side of the moon, is that about it
0: yeah, I think so in in like a I forget what it was like a cubic meter of of uh moon would have a water bottle worth of water molecules in it you'd have to how mm-hmm. do you gather it? how do you get the water molecules there's <laughs> lots of questions right. Right, But previously yeah. we thought the only place that there would be water at all would be in sh- deep, deep shadows and craters that basically didn't get hit by the sun and so it would stay frozen. Uh, and instead it turns out that there are apparently water molecules mixed in uh, with the lunar regolith, I guess, all over the sunny parts of the moon too.
1: Another great word, regolith. <laughs> mm.
0: <It's>, uh, <laughs> photometry is not involved in that. The uh, <laughs> And it was found, this is also interesting because this is the kind of... Uh, uh, observation you can't make from the ground because of what gets filtered out by Earth's atmosphere. But they use SOFIA, and I know we've talked about it on this show before. SOFIA is the 747 with a hole cut in its side, with a telescope sticking out of it, basically, that goes (laughs) high in the air above the bulk of the Earth's atmosphere that filters out this stuff so that they can make scientific observations from high up. So it's better than... Uh, uh, an Earth-based telescope, ground-based telescope, but not as good as a space telescope. But still, there aren't there's not a lot of space telescope available right now. But Sophia can do the job with a 747. And so Sophia spotted this. And this again, we we we're already in the prospect. We're going to talk about it in a second of uh planning on sending things to the lunar south pole to find ice because one of the things, if you find water, right, hydrogen and oxygen. So now you've got potential uh breathing oxygen drinking water and fuel for your rockets using hydrogen Mm -hmm. and oxygen all through chemistry chemistry is great but you got to have the it's a lot better if there's raw material on the planet or moon than it is if you have to bring it from home so this is right this is this is good because it means that they might be able to even process that h2o um out in random parts of the moon instead of just clinging to a crater at the south pole
1: that's right. And one of the things I, I I learned from one of the press calls on this is that, um, Sophia, it, it, the team, it's very expensive to fly Sophia for NASA and you have to apply for time and be approved for time to use Sophia. And without this discovery, the team that, that made the discovery might not have had more time with Sophia, but because of this, they are like the stars right now of using Sophia. <laughs> so they, they are like, please continue using Sophia. It's good. We'll make room for you. That's good.
0: That's right. Yeah, well, I mean, they they win, right? They did it. They, they got a, a great result here. So good use of Sophia. Right. Um, speaking of drilling for ice on the moon, there was a, uh, a company named Intuitive Machines that I think is Houston-based that was awarded $47 million by NASA to bring an ice driller and mass spectrometer to the moon by December of 2022 in an experiment called Prime 1. This is going to be the first mission ever to try and harvest ice from below the moon's surface. They're going to land at the South Pole. They're going to drill three feet down. They're going to collect ice samples and use that mass spectrometer to measure out how much ice turns into vapor due to the vacuum of space. They're going to do some experiments on it. But this is pretty cool because, like, this is a, again, dates in space travel, they change. They, they slip and all of that. But this is saying by December 22, they want a uh, a lander with uh, an ice driller to go to the South Pole and actually say, okay, we think we can harvest ice. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. And this is Mm -hmm. another one of those big steps of, can we use lunar resources? Because that's going to make all the difference if we send people back to the moon.
1: That's right. And this mission is one of those steps where, you know, take a step back to the water molecules on the moon discovery in the sunlit portion. There was a lot of, of attention on, well, what does this mean today? What can we do with this information? And... The answer really is we have to do a lot more research, and this will kind of fuel a lot more missions um, in this area. And and this is one of those things where this is one of those steps. There'll be a thousand steps before we can say this discovery in this date led to this thing. Um, but but seeing missions like this one named, funded on the calendar, that's that's what it, it is a lot easier to you know rely on. And then and then you'll it, it gets you to what can you do with in situ resources like like if there are water molecules on the moon and, and quantities that we can use.
0: Yeah. Everything gets a little more real if we actually do this and see it. And, and somebody comes up with a plan and talking about that previous story too. That's the, that's the other part is that what you want is the next shoe to drop is somebody who says, okay, if this is the composition there, here's how we could use it and process it on the moon in order to make, you know, whatever, make fuel, make water, make Mm -hmm. oxygen for breathing, whatever we need to do. Um, and then you send, like they're going to do with this, which obviously has had more time to p- consider the idea of drilling for ice in the South Pole, then you send a test case to say, could we do it? Can we scoop up a bunch of that stuff and process it? Um, and and then once we've learned that, that gets... Then you build a big one of those, basically, and put it in a habitat, <laughs> and then you've really got something. So that's right. That's uh, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. The Gateway, which we mentioned earlier, this is the uh, mm-hmm. cislunar space space station that is meant to be, although probably not initially, but meant to be a way station for going to the moon and back to Earth. A a uh, uh, an orbit has been decided for the Gateway, which they call the near rectilinear halo orbit. Uh, which it doesn't really make you make your heart sing, <laughs> let's say. But Halo what's cool is nice. Is the halo <laughs> is not bad. Um, this is the lunar Halo. It, it is a seven-day orbit, which means that basically every seven days, it gets about three thousand kilometers from the lunar surface. So every mm-hmm. seven days, it's really close, and that's when you plan your transfers up or down to the moon, and then it moves away uh to at its furthest point 70,000 kilometers away so you're going from 3,000 kilometers to 70,000 it's a it's a huge sort of like ellipse uh and the reason that it's shaped like this is because it's a little little metal can influenced by two large objects gravitationally the earth and the moon it gets complicated the orbital logistics of this it will need to continuously Uh, adjust its orbit. It'll actually need some maintenance. This is not a stable orbit. It is a semi-stable orbit with adjustments as it goes. But it provides uh, a much easier path to get to and from the lunar gateway and to and from the lunar surface by having this station in this Orbit, so you mm-hmm. know. I don't know. Things are getting kind of real. It feels like for the lunar. Gateway. I, I,
1: I think about this as like the logistics of getting around on the moon. You know, the to, to different different parts. Um, you know, it, it's we're, we're like you said, it's getting real. We're making plans.
0: Yeah, and, and having the station in place means instead of having a, a you know a flight where you're sending a capsule and it goes to the moon and then it's going to land in one spot and then it's going to come back to Earth, you can have. Uh, Not only reusable landers, but you can have access to different parts of the moon without expending a huge amount of energy because instead of leaving from Earth and having to get into an orbit and, you know, and be captured and bleed off whatever speed that you had in order to be in that orbit and then get down from there to wherever, like all of that goes out the window. Now you need to match with Gateway and then Gateway has its orbit and Gateway will take you to all sorts of different places you know depending on where you want to go and what part of the cycle it is it's it's a you know i this is when people say well we already went to the moon why are we going back to the moon and and people say things like we're going there to stay um that's true and that's an interesting argument i would say learning what we did in the iss and then using it to have a uh, maybe even a ultimately a permanent space station around the moon So Mm -hmm. that we can go up and down and it's not a one shot deal anymore. Now you can build like with we've seen with SpaceX and it's reusable stages. Suddenly we've got much easier access to and from the moon than we did before. So um, even though it may not be there at the beginning of the Artemis program for timing reasons, it does feel like like Gateway is a little more tangible. Now that they've said, okay, you know, they—they, they, I mean, they already have modules that they're working on, and then here is the—we know where it's going to be, we know what orbit it's going to be in.
1: That's right. It, it feels like living through watching the interstate be built and roads being built and airports being made and all right. this. It's like it's—it's it's that, but in space.
0: It's the hard logistics of space. That's right. But it needs to get done. Uh, a real quick one. If Stephen were here, we we call this the SLS segment, I guess. Yeah. But we're not gonna—we're not gonna do that. We're just gonna say <laughs> that the green run that Stephen likes to likes to talk about the green run, the green run where they're going to do the hot fire test. Uh, it got delayed because, uh, there was a hurricane and so yeah. it'll run later. Yeah.
1: It yeah. happens This, this, uh, this, this hot fire test for the core shades of, of the space launch system. Um, I've seen it in person. It exists. Uh, it, it's about 40 minutes from where I used to live and my family lives. Right. And, um, and so i i went out in february for the state of nasa where brighton sign was speaking and um we got to go out and see the core stage and and take pictures and everything and talk to the team that works on it and uh it's 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 a big deal for for syner space center you know and and it's it's a it's a big step toward you know the, the first sls launch happening um I, I I think I'll be able to attend the hot fire test whenever it happens, mm. uh, as, as press now I've, I've applied for that. Nice. And, uh, that will be very cool because as just a resident with with no connections, it's like, it's there, but it's really buried out in the woods and you can't go on your own. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so seeing it actually happen is, is going to be neat. Uh, I did think, though, that I would be a local who would just take the half hour drive over and see it happen. And now I'll, I'll take a flight back to where I used to live to yeah. see it happen. Uh, <laughs> but it's okay.
0: Yeah. So anyway, that, that'll be... That'll be one of those moments because we, you know, we joke about the SLS being so far behind and schedule and so expensive and all those things. But it does, talking about the gateway feeling real, when they do the green run, like, not only is that super important because you do need to fire this thing and you do need to learn from that, uh, but also that is a big milestone. That is literally the next milestone for the SLS that we've been talking about for a long time. Right. So yeah. it'll be good to have it happen, even if it is delayed a little bit. Yeah.
1: So they had a couple of months off uh, because of uh, quarantine and they had three hurricanes so far this year. Uh, (laughs) So it's been, it's been tough out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we go, I wanted to talk a little bit about you. Like you, you know, what's, how did you get interested in, in space? I first noticed you as a writer on nine to five Mac, but Um, then you launched Space Explored as a new website where you get to be things like write about space and be credentialed to go to space things, which is pretty sweet.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, So... I've, I've been with 95 Mac since 2013, and it was Mark German, who's at Bloomberg now, mm-hmm. who um, brought me in and we worked together and everything. And, and he eventually left, and I kind of took his position um, as, as sort of the lead editor for 95 Mac. And I've done that for, you know, four or five years now. Um, but last December, I saw an invitation for NASA social, and I thought, I have a social media following. It's not space related, it's all Apple related. I think NASA is neat. I don't know a whole lot about <laughs> NASA or what, what's like currently happening, but this looks cool and um, applied for that got to go out and see a commercial resupply mission uh, for with a a SpaceX Falcon 9 launch and it was being around a dozen other people who knew way more than me about something um, that I was you know, interested in and um, I was just so fascinated by how smart they were and knowledgeable and there was a lot of just current events that I did not know about that I missed in the news because I was so laser focused on Apple um, that I, I came back home and I just never shook that excitement. You know, that it's like an adrenaline rush that never ended um, where I just, all I wanted to do was learn more. Uh, this, this podcast liftoff was huge for me because I would just listen in reverse and, um, you know, go, <laughs> <laughs> Go on a dog walk and like, you know, okay, here's, here's, uh, you know, <laughs> this week's, uh, w- current events. And so it kind of got a couple of years of, of, uh, you know, knowledge and, uh, understanding of what, what was kind of this, this, you know, half of the month's happenings. And, um, yeah, I pitched my boss on the idea around January and he was kind of iffy on it. And so I just decided, shoot, I'll just start doing this on my own. And, um, that was in February and, uh, I kept, I kept going, just doing a little bit at a time on it. And going to launches just as as a viewer, um, and meeting meeting a lot more people. And in May, he said, "Let's bring it in house." So as part of the 95 right. Mac network, um, it's since it's since become. I still do everything I do with Nine Mac. Plus this, I get paid for this to do this, and um, I've even been able to hire people who who now get paid to do this with me. That's nice, um, and it's it's so cool. And the the big thing for me is that uh, I I think I've got. A, a good crossover audience from 9 to 5 Mac where people who are very interested in what is the iPhone 12 going to do that they're they're tech minded but they don't they don't see the headlines of what's happening in space exploration and we have a lot of really cool things coming up I mean the Crew 1 launch was was one of those or, or the Demo 2 mission was one of those and the Crew 1's the next one where it's, it's these are things that you'll see in the news that day but it's kind of cool to, to know about it ahead of time and, and in great detail and follow it as it actually happens and so So I don't want to miss out on those things in in the future. And my goal with the site is to make sure that more people don't either and that there's a lot of cross interest with, with, you know, especially with with SpaceX. People know SpaceX. Then they come and they they want to learn more about SpaceX and they learn about what is NASA doing? What is United Launch Alliance doing? What is Boeing doing? um, Blue Origin, Virgin Orbit, Virgin Galactic. There's just so much happening. So many players involved. Um, Rocket Lab that that there's enough to stay busy with. And, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a dream come true. Just like working for nine to five Mac was, um, this one's my baby, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. That's, it's a great, it's a great story. I'm glad that your enthusiasm is what generated the, uh, the site. That's the, I think that's the right way to do it. I think you did it right. Oh, thanks. Um, so before I let you go, I, have one big question for you, which is you've been, you've been writing about this and thinking about this for a while now. Um, what are the stories that you think are the most interesting that are happening right now or or rolling into 2021 what are the ones that are like the big the big ones that that you think of as the big stories in space right now
1: well, the, the first thing is, is seeing commercial crew take off, and, and we're there now. We've got Boeing to watch and see how that goes, and it'll come online. Um, but that just makes it feel way more tangible that you've got astronauts launching, not not just rockets launching with cargo, but rockets launching with people. Um, there's much more of an emotional connection for people when that happens yeah. and they witness it. Um Artemis is, you know, seeing the Artemis 1 mission, if that launches next year on Space Launch System, then that's going to feel very real that we're, we're seeing history play out. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the launch after that is one with crew. And then it, it's, you know, a lunar flyby mission. And then we've got the walking on the moon mission for Artemis 3. Um, so seeing that happen and then, Uh, I I am a dad. I have a three-year-old son and a seven-year-old daughter, and my daughter is is just so interested in this stuff, just kind of picking it up from me. And it's so cool to see things through her seven-year-old eyes. And her biggest question is always, "When can I go to space? You know, when are you going to go to space? Um, Can you go to space for work?" And it's like, we're we're not. It's not impossible that that in my lifetime you can spend a lot of money to go, and that in your lifetime you'll be able to go. Kind of like we take a plane, you know. So so seeing anything that is not just the astronaut program, but other ways to go to space. You know, I, 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 th- there is paying a lot of money to go and, and be a tourist. That's cool. But I think something that, that would be a point of pride for her would be, studying a field that that lets you be one of the scientists you're you're not turning to necessarily be an astronaut but um you want to go to space you want to do an experiment you know one of these um just on the, the on the border of space you know in the earth's atmosphere where you do a, a science project in space for 10 minutes and, and that's it you know that kind of thing being accessible in her lifetime i am just so interested in those baby steps coming together and becoming a real thing
0: yeah absolutely we were just talking the last episode about how Alan Stern, in addition to being in charge of New Horizons mission is going to go up in Virgin Galactic and do some experiments. And so there's a guy who's been working in space for a long time, but he's not an astronaut. He's a scientist and uh, he's going to be not for a long time, but he's going to go up above the barrier, then, you know, be at the uh, edge of space and do some zero gravity testing and stuff. And like that, that's just the start of it that's just the start of that level of accessibility there's different you know I think I think you're right there's going to be sort of like non-orbital and there's going to be low earth orbit and then and then you've got the stuff that's further out that the further out you go the more the domain of uh, governments and and, yeah uh, and trained astronauts it it is but that there's that sphere keeps expanding it's exciting
1: that's right yeah all
0: right well uh, Zach, thank you so much for filling in for Stephen this week. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Anytime. Um, you can find us all at liftoffpodcast.space. You can find Zach at spaceexplored.com and 9to5mac.com. Uh, Zach is Apollo Zach. That's Z-A-C. ApolloZAC. No K. On Twitter. <laughs> I'm Jay <laughs> Snell on Twitter. Stephen is ISMH. And Stephen and I will be back in two weeks for another episode. Maybe... We'll have uh, Crew 1 at that point. That'll be really exciting. But until then, thank you, everybody, for listening. And, Zach, once again, thanks for being our special guest co-host this week.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Bye, everybody.